0: back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it, Keepin it, it sports with them 3 Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, w- what's your name again? And now, ah, here's, here's your, your host, home. M3, M3, M3 Mike Rosnansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well on this Monday, the 14th day of November. Hope you're all having a great day. Had a fun, safe, exciting weekend. As I talked about last week, usually around this time of the year, the NFL captures so much of our emotions, so much of our love and joy as a sports fan we we probably feel more connected to any team we root for as when it comes to football than we do any of the teams we root for in any other major sports so when you hit the bye week for your favorite team or your team played on thursday night football you get to a football sunday you know sometimes you're not really sure what to do with yourself especially if you don't have you know, the NFL package on whatever streaming service it's available on these days. Me, I stick with uh, watching uh, the Red Zone when the Jets aren't playing. But like I said, with the Jets not playing and them being on such a surprisingly good start this year, I was worried, oh, would there be anything to capture my attention? Hmm. Well... Vikings-Bills and Packers-Cowboys, thank you very much because you made it a very joyful, happy Sunday for yours truly and not because of the two teams that lost. I'm not going to sit here and be a jerk or an a-hole toward uh, the Bills fans or the Cowboys fans because those losses yesterday, those are tough losses to stomach especially when you have such a big lead with what, about a quarter left to go in those games and you're playing teams that you feel that you're superior to. Even though in the case of the Minnesota Vikings, we've shown them little to no respect. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about the media. I'm talking about fans that are not Minnesota Viking fans. Anywhere you turn on television, radio, no one seems to respect the Minnesota Vikings. And we know the story by now. You know, Kirk Cousins is a one o'clock quarterback and does not handle the big spot very well. Well, yesterday was a big spot. Yesterday was a spot where, you know, you're 7-1. and one, You're going up against a team that is considered a Super Bowl contender or Super Bowl favorite in the AFC this year, go out there and show us something. And early on, it was not looking good for Kirk and the Vikings. Especially, you know, being down by 17 with just under 20 minutes to go, not having much offense, Cousins having a couple of bad interceptions in the mix there. And Allen showing not much signs of the elbow injury that people spent all week, day and night worried and concerned about. You thought there was not a hope, not a prayer in the world for the Minnesota Vikings, but sometimes just one play can turn things around. And, you know, the the bills had kept Dalvin cook in check for most of the game until he broke off that 81 yard touchdown drive. And that's when, you know, the juices started flowing. That's when, Belief started to come in for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, because on the sidelines, you're always going to be confident. You're always going to have a, a a belief. But sometimes, you know, the, the other team just says no. Sometimes the, the will and determination you put out there isn't enough to overcome what is not an overwhelmingly superior opponent. But definitely a, a better team you you look at twice yesterday in the third quarter, the Vikings had to use timeouts to calm down the crowd noise because they weren't able to get the correct signals in in time to avoid a delay of game, but once Dalvin Cook had that long touchdown run seemed to change the trajectory of this game you had the fourth and two play down in Minnesota territory, which I understand wanting to be aggressive there, but rather than throwing the pick there, if you're Allen, the smarter play is just, you know, throw the ball away. I know it would be a turnover on downs and, you know, you want to do everything possible to score there. Me personally, I would have just kicked the field goal and and forced uh, the Vikings to try to drive the field on us twice. But You know, Allen throws a pick right in the middle of the field to Patrick Peterson. And what I don't understand there, maybe it's just, you know, the speed of the game, you know, not, you know, wanting to think about your injury at that time. Why, when he's trying to run down Peterson for the tackle, is he throwing at him, you know, his uh, potentially damaged right elbow? That didn't make a lot of sense to me uh, right there. But, you know, from that moment on, those two sequences really seemed to get the Vikings going because they would sandwich that interception with two touchdown drives. And then late in the fourth, even though it didn't lead to a score, that final long drive that they had set uh, a pace set, Everything up for what was the craziness to come, what was the excitement of the end of this game? Because you have that unbelievable catch by Justin Jefferson, which I, mean, I don't know if we're gonna be thinking or talking about the Odell Beckham Jr. catch anytime soon. After the catches that we saw in that game. I mean, Stefan Diggs has a one hour one-hand catch in uh the later stages of the third quarter, and what, about 45 minutes later, uh, Jefferson saying, hey, Diggs, hold my beer, because that was just insanity. The, not just going up and catching it the way he did, but the fact that he comes down and catches it as he's coming down close to his hip like that, ball never even touching the ground, and Even though it didn't lead to a score there yet, you thought you had the the go-ahead touchdown, but it called back on review. It set up the Bills for a situation where they couldn't just take a knee in the end zone for a safety, and looking back on it now, that might have been the way to go because Allen had his uh, second of what would be three turnovers uh, yesterday with uh, the fumble in the end zone. With the Eric Kendrick uh, recovering at there, and what's weird with all of this? How, how many times are we going to see the Bills have these chaotic end of game spots in classic games? Like it, it seems like these kind of things always happen to them. You know, Music City Miracle. Uh, what happened last year against Kansas City? The final thirteen seconds and now uh, this spot here where the Vikings all they had to do was fall on a fumble it wasn't like they really did anything uh, to uh force this here and they got the uh, go ahead and you know in a way I'm glad they won this not just because you know the Bills are a division rival who I'm happy about them losing but it would have set a bad taste in my mouth and a lot of football fans' mouth if the Bills had won after that game-tying drive to force overtime because Gabe Davis did not have a catch there along the sidelines. The, I don't know how the, the replay officials or Secaucus, wherever this was uh, reviewing this, did not stop the game right then and there and review that in such a crucial spot. There just to just to make sure. I know Allen and the company were rushing up to the line, but just to make sure that it was a, a good catch because the he clearly did not go out of bounds to the ground with full control of the ball there. But hey, the things set well for the Vikings. They had the go-ahead field goal in overtime, and then Peterson at the end getting his second interception to. Uh, steal victory from the jaws of defeat from Allen and company we got to start respecting uh, the Vikings we have to start showing that hey stop with the yeah buts until they give us a reason for there to be a yeah but with them they're a good team this is a legitimately good team I mean the the Vikings aren't paying Kirk Cousin 35 million dollars a year for no reason whatsoever and he's got legit weapons all over the field here. Um, wide receivers, t- running backs, tight ends. All, you look at all those spots, it's high-quality ca- players uh, lined up in uh, those roles. This is a real team to deal with. I mean, maybe we haven't paid them enough respect because they haven't had a true challenger in that division this year with how bad the Green Bay Packers have been or the fact that most of the excitement in the NFC has come from the NFC East or we're talking about the spending too much time talking about the Buccaneers and what's going wrong there or what's going wrong with the Rams but the Vikings are a real team and they're going to have a chance to back that up and continue proving that On next Sunday, when they go up against the Cowboys, they're going to get the A spot on Sundays. The A spot is not Sunday night football, people. The A spot is that 425 game in which you're getting the top crew, You know, Burkhart, Olsen, uh, Aaron Andrews, Tom Rinaldi, going and doing that game. And they're going to be coming up against a Cowboy team that is maybe reeling isn't too is too strong of a word, but is coming off of a tough loss in their own right against the Packers yesterday, which, you know, you, you wonder sometimes what runs through that organization. Is it just pure stupidity or is it just this air of confidence where they think that everything they're going to do works because you look on the other sidelines yesterday. The Packers set the blueprint for the Cowboys on what they should be doing: be a run-heavy team, set up play actions down the field, especially when uh, you're not that strong at wide receiver. I mean, Ceedee Lamb probably had you know his best game of the season uh, yesterday, but he has not been. Overly impressive this year. You're just getting Michael Gallup back now from injuries. And the fact that the Packers, the team that's reeling, the team that's desperate, that's on a five-game losing streak, they were the ones that were willing to stay disciplined. They were the ones that were willing to take what was given to them and uh, set up design runs on 62% 62% of their plays, highest percentage in uh, the Aaron Rodgers, uh, Matt LaFleur era is a large chunk of the reason why they won this game. I I don't get why they had Dak Prescott backing up the throw 46 times in this game, especially when you've got Tony Pollard running for well over five yards a clip. He was Uh, really dominant early in this game. And then they seemed to get away from him a bit and allowed Rodgers and company the opportunity to nickel and dime uh, their way right back into uh, this game. And there were several times where you're looking at McCarthy. It's like, what do you think of? Why not just take a field goal here? Especially in overtime, The, the fourth and three, uh, play there after you had just cut into what was a second and 19 when you you got a holding penalty called against you you were able to cut off a chunk of that on second and 19 down to third and three they like said tony pollard was great yesterday but they got away from him because whether they wanted Dak to be the hero or they thought that they could just pick apart the Packers' defense with the pass game. They really got away from what was working too quick, were not disciplined. I mean, you had another nine penalties from this team who seems to be leading the league every week in penalties and blew a great chance at not just putting away the Packers' For the season, even though I I look at them and uh, I I think it's more of a mirage, more of a, hey, you know, good feeling moment just for a week for Packers fans. Yesterday was more about Dallas's lack of defense, stupidity at head coaching, and lack of self awareness in in, uh, this game. I mean, you know, Dak, you know, both of those interceptions, I don't know. Well, on the when you're on the red zone, you cannot throw interceptions. Like at minimum, you should be getting a field goal there. Anytime a red zone possession turns into a turnover or an interception, it's a wasted drive and a chance at life for the opposition. But on the second one, I'm not sure whether he thought. CeeDee Lamb was going to cut back across the field or or whatever but two times he threw it right to Rudy Ford's hands and you know was a large part of the reason why the Cowboys when they had the opportunity to bl- blow this game open and maybe that's the what they were thinking let's be electric let's be exciting let's blow th- this game up when you saw a couple weeks ago when they faced the Bears keep it simple stupid and a good re- ground game, while it's not the sexiest thing in the world for most uh, football fans, is a big thing for winning ingredients. You know, that, I mean, the first time in franchise history, and it, you would think that this happened by now at some point in the 62 years that this franchise existed. But for the first time in franchise history, bl- blowing a... 14-point, not just blowing a 14-point lead after three quarters, but losing when you had a 14-point lead after three quarters. You know, they had the game in hand there if they would have just been patient and disciplined and followed the ingredients or followed the blueprint that was presented to them by the Green Bay Packers. And instead, McCarthy and company are looking up Wondering what could have been. But, hey, as a fan of a team who was on a bye yesterday, thank you, Cowboys. Thank you, Bills. Thank you for providing me with some excitement, some thrilling football to watch. Especially because those games weren't just on the NFL Red Zone. They were on national TV. So, they kept what was a bye week Sunday. Very entertaining for yours truly. All right, a lot to get to for the next about, oh forty 40 minutes or so here. Give you some thoughts on a surprising, to say the least, coaching hire in the last week. A couple of teams that are dealing with the drama. In fact, one piece of drama that just seemingly won't go away. Give you uh, some thoughts on the possible return Of Odell Beckham Jr. Are we coming close to that? As well as uh, some thoughts on uh, Kyrie Irving, the Knicks. A lot to get to for the next about 40, 45 minutes or so here. So please sit back, relax, help put your feet up on the table on this Monday afternoon, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. bad thing about a podcast is that sometimes while i'm recording it there will be news that breaks where i say to myself oh damn i wish i had known that you know an hour or so beforehand then i could have talked about it on here that could have been a topic for me to break down and what do you know that was the case once again last week the Indianapolis Colts decided to make a coaching change and fired Frank Wright and his five-year tenure there as head coach. And you kind of figured with how things were going there that there was going to be a coaching change at the very latest by the end of the season. Now, I'm never a fan of the in-season season coaching hire, I mean coaching firing, excuse me, unless the coach truly proves that he needs to go and is a detriment to the organization. Uh, Like Ben McAdoo years ago in his second year as Giants head coach, or Adam Gase should have been fired during his second year as the New York Jets head coach. But in this case, I thought, Frank had done enough to at least warrant being the head coach for the rest of the season. And if he was not going to be the head coach for the rest of the season, I would have at least gone with one of his assistant coaches, whether it be Gus Bradley and company or someone on that staff, John Fox, somebody who's been there all year to be the interim head coach for the rest of the season. I was absolutely floored and stunned when I heard the news of who their new head coach was going to be as I was uh, driving home last week. When the news broke not just that Frank Wright was fired, but his successor or replacement as interim head coach for the rest of the season would be ESPN analyst, Jeff Saturday. Yeah, that Jeff Saturday that we see on TV almost every day and was the former longtime center for the Colts in the Peyton Manning, Tony Dungy era and the beginning of the Andrew Luck era. A guy who's had no head coaching experience in the NFL. Hell, has no coaching experience above the high school level is taking over as their head coach. At first, I laughed about this because I thought to myself, oh, if the New York Jets did something like this, everyone would have a field day. The the media fans outside of New York would mock, make fun of the Jets from here to eternity. But then the more I thought about it, I'm— like, all right, good for Jeff Saturday getting this spot. I was more so befuddled and kind of questioned, why would you go outside the organization for not just, I know it's a Colts legend, but going for a guy that has no experience whatsoever, even though he's a Colts legend as mentioned. Instead of going with one of your guys from within, because you know things like this, are why we have the Rooney Rule. Things like this are why there's rules in place when it comes to any hiring in the NFL, not just with head coaches, but assistant coaches as well. And I understand that you could not go outside of the organization during the season to hire a guy. You weren't going to bring. Um, some free agent coach in off the streets. Like you weren't gonna bring in Matt Rule to uh coach uh the Colts for the rest of the season or Sean Payton wasn't gonna go out of come out of his semi-retirement to coach this team. And that's a name to possibly look for in the long term for this team. But why wouldn't you give that opportunity? If you're not gonna give it uh the, to uh, Gus Bradley, somebody else on that coaching staff. Give somebody else the chance to build their resume. Give somebody else a chance to put on tape that they can lead a locker room of men. We've seen John Fox do it. He's done it uh, successfully. Gus Bradley, I'm sure, could possibly get another crack. At least he'll be in the mix for interviews along the way. But somebody to get, somebody new, someone fresh to get their name out there. Because I don't look at this and and think that, oh, all of a sudden, Jeff Saturday is going to do this long-term. This feels like it's a a just-do-it-for-the-rest-of-the-season kind of thing. Doing uh, Jim Irsay a favor here. Because for four years, for four years, Frank Wright and company went to him offering him spots on the coaching staff. And every year he said, no, I just want to do my job at ESPN. I've got a a great life here, spend a lot of time with my family. And with the fact that the Colts, in all likelihood, are not going anywhere. They're not going to catch the Tennessee Titans in that division. They're currently sitting there. Let's take a look at this. Yeah, they are two back in the loss column. They have a tie in the mix there. And the Titans have um, played one less game uh, than them. They're not going to catch them in the division. They're not going to all of a sudden make a run at a wild card spot, even as good as Matt Ryan looked at yesterday. To me, this is just a fill in for right now kind of spot. And I would have much rather it it gone to somebody that had been there every day that deserved the chance to build their resume rather than someone that we're bringing in off TV just because he's a legend of that franchise. Now they did end up winning his debut and who knows, maybe in the end he's getting the last laugh at all of us The Colts are laughing at all of us with all of the reactions and some of the possible overreactions that there have been in the last week. But you do have to take that for a grain of salt when you consider they're going up against a team that has just as much, maybe even more drama than the Colts do right now in the Las Vegas should-be Oakland Raiders. The Raiders were... Remember before the season started, we were looking at the AFC West and saying, could this be the year that not three but all four teams in one division make the postseason? And instead the Raiders have been dreadful. The you know the Josh McDaniels and uh Derek Carr. Can't seem to get on the same page. You got Devontae Adams questioning his decision to go to Las Vegas uh, in uh, talks with the media and appearances on podcasts. You got Derek Carr crying after games because he doesn't feel like the entire team is giving the same effort, given the the putting in the same work as everybody else to be prepared for a game on Sunday, Monday, or Thursday. McDaniels is just looking there like dumbfounded on the sidelines. And you even have a player on the team, a, a guy who's been viewed as a, a locker room leader in everywhere he's gone, in Blake Martinez, retiring mid season. Just four days after he led the team in tackles, I mean, if that doesn't tell you how bad things are going there in Las Vegas, I quite frankly don't know what to tell you because this, this entire situation seems like a mess. And you know, the one of their one of their division rivals, should we call them that, that they're going up against next week. Continues to be filled with drama as well. And listen, I love the guy. I've been a big fan of his since uh, he was at Wisconsin. But can we go one week? I'm, I'm, I'm asking for one freaking week for without Russell Wilson being in the headlines for anything other than what he does on the field. Th- that's all I'm asking for. One damn week. I mean, the latest example of that this week was the fact that, you know, you figured the number one story would be them going up against the tight ends and their loss in Tennessee. No. Instead, we're sitting here talking about whether Russell Wilson is wearing a wristband or not when he's on the field. Hey, I'm I'm not sure why Pete Carroll felt the need to bring it up when, you know, propping up his guy Geno Smith and, and talking about what has helped him in his coming out party is second or third lease on his football life this year, whatever you want to call it or talk about it. But the, this whole nonsense with the wristband became a talking point this week, became you know, a big headline. Oh, Pete Carroll said Russell Wilson didn't wear a wristband. And then Russ felt the need to respond because a reporter asked him a question about it after practice on Thursday. And it just, it became a story that had legs that grew that quite frankly shouldn't have been Know a big deal. Quite frankly, shouldn't have been something that ESPN, Fox Sports, any of these other sports networks are wasting time in their lives or all of our lives discussing. And that's all I'm asking for. One week, one week, Russ, where it's just about football, not about whether you're wearing a rest band or if you're doing high knees on the plane to London and that I, I the, the fact that you got kickers on other teams making fun of you for that shows you how much of a dork you truly are like I said I love the guy but for one week that's all I'm asking for Russ one damn week one measly week just be about football instead of any other possible nonsense I mean, you can't say it's a bad move him going to Denver because he is getting $254 million over the next five years. But when you see your former team is winning games with a quarterback that we've always perceived to be much lesser than you, has always been thought of as kind of just a backup quarterback ever since the moment IK broke his jaw six years ago. And they're, you know, a team that people are getting somewhat excited about, even with their loss uh, to the Buccaneers in Germany yesterday. Maybe you should stop having so much drama, so much attention around you and just concern yourself on, hey, how do we get back in the mix of things, when it comes to a playoff spot, because you know you're four games back in the loss column to the Chiefs, so that's not happening when it comes to the division. And you've got currently two, three, four, five teams you got to jump over for a wild card spot. You are currently two games back in the loss column uh, with uh, of the Patriots for the seventh seed in the, the AFC. And you just barely, barely hold a tiebreaker over Pittsburgh on best win percentage in conference if it came to that. And we all know the Steelers are not going anywhere this year either. And it's been kind of a messy first year for the Wilson-Nathaniel Hackett regime there in Denver, right? All right, going to take another break here. Come back on the, the other side. And, hey, Odell Beckham Jr., his name has started to float out there once again. Could we be nearing his possible return? And could he be coming home? Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Best Friday was the beginning of unrestricted free agency in Major League Baseball. For the first five days after the World Series, teams have the exclusive rights to talk to their own free agents and possibly make a deal with them. As we saw with Edwin Diaz. And as we saw a couple of teams do with Relievers who had breakout seasons, such as the Padres with Robert Suarez and the Houston Astros rewarding uh, Rafael Montero for his uh, all-star caliber season. But I've been reading Twitter over the last couple of days, looking across social media and seeing baseball fans, in particular Yankee fans, freaking out, bugging out, Wondering, oh, what's going on? How come nobody's done anything yet? How come no one has made any free agent signings? How come in all the other sports you see guys jumping on, signing on right away? But baseball, we're not seeing anything go down. Now, is this hurting or affecting the Yankees' chances of re-signing Aaron Judge? And I'm like, people, chill out, okay? It's Monday. It's Three days after unrestricted free agency has began. And the reason why you see players jumping on board and signing with teams within the the first 48 hours of free agency in the NBA, uh, the NFL, and the NHL, especially in uh, the NFL and the NBA, because you get this whole nonsense with the legalized tampering period and then suddenly 6 o'clock in, on a certain day in the NBA hits or 4 5 on a Wednesday for the NFL hits and you suddenly see 20 players sign in new locations and you're wondering, how the hell did that happen? It's because those teams and those sports have salary caps. The players are going to jump on the money quicker in those sports because they realize that they have to get their piece of the pie now. Because if they sit around, wait for it, and try to let things play out and uh, haggle with a certain team, that that money may end up not being there. That money might disappear and that they blew their chance at the biggest contract that they may ever see. Major league baseball players, they know they got time on their hands here, right? First pitch, the start of the season is not until March 30th. Spring training doesn't start until about two weeks after Valentine's Day and pitchers and catchers don't report until mid-February. So these guys got time on their hands. And the, the teams, you know, they're talking to agents, they're talking uh to other teams about prospective trades. You're not gonna see anything major between now and Thanksgiving. It occasionally, you know, the the likes of Buster Only and Ken Rosenthal, Tim Kirchin Whoever you want to throw out there that you like that covers Major League Baseball will be annoyed on what's supposed to be the best night of the year, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, because some team will just piss them off and make a big free agent signing or a big trade, and they got to stop everything they're doing and write an article about it. Sometimes that does happen, but more times than not, it's the weekend after Black Friday in which action starts taking place. All right. Moves are going to be made. These guys are going to get their money, especially judge. Players are going to get signed. But you can't expect it's going to happen like that in Major League Baseball like it does in the other sports. They don't they don't work with the salary cap. Thank God they don't. And these players, these teams, they're in no rush to make Commitments, long-term commitments. Just because you want action doesn't mean they're going to give it to you right away. Now, one piece of action that may take place before anything happens in Major League Baseball, and I would be surprised if any big free agents in baseball sign before this guy makes a decision on his next location, is the future of Odell Beckham Jr. Because we know he's been rehabbing from tearing his ACL in the Super Bowl last year. And it's only a matter of time until he signs with a new team. But the question is, when and who is it going to be? Now, one thing I don't want to see is him signing with the Dallas Cowboys. Now, this became a big story last week when Jerry Jones in his uh, weekly radio show said Odell Beckham Jr could look pretty good in a Dallas Cowboys uniform. And then there's people saying, "Oh, that's tampering. How could he talk about that player?" Odell Beckham Jr is a free agent right now. So anybody could go on their weekly radio show or podcast or go on social media and say so-and-so would look good in their uniform. As long as the guy is a free agent, it's not considering, considered tampering people. So Jerry, unfortunately, can say what the hell he wants to say in this spot, even though I think the Cowboys would be better off if he shut the hell up sometimes because his Obnoxiousness, his loudness that hurts them more so than it helps them and leads to more people like myself, more people like the likes of Stephen A. Smith on ESPN celebrating and throwing parades and having happiness over their bad losses than any other team in this sport when he makes himself so public like that but the topic on hand here is when for Odell like he's a remarkable athlete unbelievable athlete as great a uh, athletic specimen at the wide receiver position we've ever seen and any team would be instantly upgraded by having this guy on their team but the thing is his list of course it's going to be very short because he's going to want to join a team that's in contention. He's going to want to join a team where he has the chance to play beyond the first 2 weeks in January. Where he has a chance to play beyond the so let's say, you know, every team's played 9 to 10 games right now. Let's say he comes back he let's say he signs within the next 2 weeks and then is ready to go within a week of signing. That would give him you know, five to six games, potentially seven left in this season to play. So he's going to want to join a team that is in good position for a playoff spot. And you, know, you look at... The rumored five teams that are in the mix there, none of which are either the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Los Angeles Rams, because the Rams, even though they could use him right now with this possible uh, long-term injury for Cooper Cup, we're still waiting to see results on the, the ankle injury there. They're three and six, and can't get out of their own way there in the NFC West, have been a massive disappointment, but hey, they'll take that being Super Bowl champions. And the Buccaneers are just gonna win that division by default and have not looked impressive in their last two victories, have just been very opportunistic. But you look at these five teams, the Bills, the Chiefs, the 49ers, the Cowboys, and the Giants, the Bills and Chiefs don't exactly need a wide receiver right now. I mean, the the Chiefs maybe more so than uh, the Bills, but they started to work Kadarius Tony into the mix there a little bit yesterday, and you're hopeful that the injury to Marquez Valdez Scandling is not too too bad. The Bills' biggest problem is. They don't have a run game outside of Josh Allen. They really need to uh, get their ground game going. But the Cowboys could use a wide receiver. The 49ers could use a a flashy wide receiver. And the Giants certainly could use a wide receiver because, you know, outside of uh, uh, Darius Sladen's 54-yard uh, touchdown run yesterday, they have a you know, no sizzle. They have a, no explosiveness on the outside. It's been basically the Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones show uh, for the most part. But you need someone that's a legitimate threat down the field. You need someone that is could take the top off of a defense and could have them concern, saying, "Oh, we got to watch out for going up against this guy." We have. To make sure we set a double team on this guy, and then that opens things up for other players on the field. That makes life easier for Darius Slayton. That makes life easier for some of these you know, lesser known commodities that they have at the wide receiver position. And you know, a year or two ago, I would have said, "No way, do not bring Odell." back here especially after you know he forced his way out in cleveland i i would have been like no don't, don't go here but in the last year or even last two years he seemed to grow the hell up he seemed to mature a little bit i i think going to la and being around all of that star power that he had around him Not just on the offensive side, but the defensive side. Being around guys like Von Miller, being around guys like Aaron Donald, helped him grow up. Helped him start stop acting like such an immature kid on the field. I mean, he's gone through some personal things as well. Becoming a father for the first time as well can can change someone. But between that and know how he handled being around all those veterans in L.A., I think he'd be ready to come back to the New York Giants. I think he would be different this time. It wouldn't be so much about the shenanigans, the nonsense, which you know I spent show after show talking about years back. I think this would actually be the perfect time to bring Odell back, come back. And I would bring him back on a contract where, you know, hopefully I can get more than one year out of him. I know he's looking to put up numbers to get a big deal after this year, but I would hope I could get longer than that from him because I just look at how Chris Godwin was when he came off of the ACL surgery and how it took some time for him to shake the rust off. It's going to be the same with Odell Beckham. He's not going to be, you know, that explosive, all-pro, Pro Bowl-caliber wide receiver immediately when he steps back on the field. Maybe, maybe the first game he will, because just based on pure adrenaline rush, based on intensity and how much he loved being a New York Giant and how much he loved the Giant fans, that will get him through. But those first couple of games are going to be Touch and feel with him come back. You're not going to be able to play him every snap. You're going to have to slowly bring him along. So I would hope that I could get him on something more than one year. And if, hey, if he wants to just only sign for this year, that's fine. But hopefully, for the Giants' sake, it's something that goes so well that you're forced to keep him around beyond this year and give him, give Daniel Jones that true. Number one weapon he has not had. You know, that number one weapon that you thought you were going to get with Kenny Galladay, but he's turned out to be a total bust and quite frankly should have his key card to the Giants practice facility shut down, snapped in half, and never allowed uh, anywhere near uh, the Meadowlands ever again. But the Giants got to do something here. They got to do something because you're having a surprisingly exciting season. And there's only so much longer that they're going to be able to get away with winning games in the fashion that they have. You you know, you're not going to be able to play the Texans or the Lions every single week, even though the Lions... uh, were able to spoil the party, ruin the show that Justin Fields was uh, putting on uh, yesterday. And at a time where you're missing your best defensive player or one of your best defensive players, one of your defensive leaders with the the stupid injury by Xavier McKinney, you had to add a little bit of spice here, add a little bit of sizzle to this. And what better way than bringing back a guy that the fans love and clearly loves the fans back, loved being a New York Giant, just at times showed it in all of the wrong ways on it and off the field. So while I would have been against it before, I think it is the absolute right time and perfect time for the Giants to go out there and go bring back Odell Beckham Jr., All right, gonna take one last break here. Come back on the other side. Gotta talk about Kyrie Irving again. What a surprise! Continue keeping it sports with M three. I'll be back. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. Only a few more minutes left here, but I wanted to finish up with some thoughts on the NBA, including uh, my Brooklyn Nets, who finished off last night their back-to-back trip to L.A. with a loss against the Lakers. It was not a great shooting night, especially for the night... For the likes of Joe Harris and and Patty Mills. And Durant set them up with plenty of opportunities. He was getting double teamed all night long. They just were not hitting these wide open shots. And we're not able to take advantage of a Lakers team that is trying to get through a LeBron James abductor uh, strain right now. But uh, LeBron and, and the Nets kind of coincided with each other somewhat when it came to one of the uh, biggest talking points in the NBA right now. And you know, I sometimes wonder if this is what this guy wanted, if he's just playing us all for the biggest fools in the world. But LeBron uh, shed some thoughts on Kyrie Irving last uh, Thursday Because as we know, Kyrie has now missed the last six games after being suspended due to conduct detrimental to the team. And LeBron uh, posted on Twitter some thoughts saying, I told you guys that I don't believe in sharing hurtful information and I'll continue to be that way. But Kyrie apologized and he should be able to play. That's what I think. It's that simple. Help him learn. But he should be playing. What he's asked to do to get back on the floor, I think, is excessive IMO. He's not the person that's being betrayed of him. Anyways, back to my rehab session. And I tend to somewhat agree with LeBron. Here's, here's what I, I really believe. I've, I've thought about this all weekend ever since I've read his quote. I, I listened to a lot of people um, comment on this, a lot of people on television, radio, podcasts, a lot of opinions out there because of course, what was brought up a lot here is you know race in this, in the, the fact that you, know, you have a black athlete serving a suspension that even though they gave a length almost feels indefinite and you typically don't see that with a white athlete even though there are not, aren't a lot of them in uh, the NBA. The NBA is still uh, uh, by and large part a black uh, athlete sport. So there's you know, not many times that we see this pop up with a, a particular white athlete. But as I've always said, when I see black people, African-American people uh, give comments on this, all I can do is sit back, listen, and educate. And educate myself, um, especially because I get it because I don't get it. I'll never understand what it's like having people judge me based on my skin color. I've always been someone who's outright against treating and judging people based on their skin color. So I understand that, A, I don't get the, the hardship that um, most black people in this country go through. Still, And how they have this feeling of not being treated as fair as white people. And I understand where they're coming from here saying that, oh, he apologized. He should be allowed to play. All I can say is this. I think that the Nets are making him go through all these hoops. And the NBA is allowing them to do this as almost like a lifetime achievement award as far as punishments are concerned. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not going to sit here and say that I entirely agree with the Nets. Now, should they be having him go through some sensitivity training? Yes. But there's a way of doing all of this while still allowing him on the basketball court. Like They should have... Taking him off the court right when this happened, right when he shared this post and the initial interview he had with Nick Friedle on ESPN, that's when the time was to uh, suspend him. I thought they waited too long to do that. But once he met with the commissioner and the commissioner was like, I don't sense any anti-Semitism here then you could have brought him back and still had him go through some of this stuff, still had him meet with uh, leaders of different organizations or different uh, Jewish communities. They're mostly doing this now, and I could be completely wrong, but I think they're mostly having him do this now based on all of the nonsense that has gone on since he became a Brooklyn Net almost as a, a way of them saying, all right, you've had so much drama since you've been here. We're going to force your hand in getting back on the court. After having to deal with you walking away from the team after January 6th, the vaccination stuff we dealt with with you last year, and now this, this is their way of having their final chance to stick it to Kyrie because one way or another, he's not going to be a Brooklyn Net after this year. He's going to be elsewhere. He's going to be playing for another team. So the Nets are, and Josiah especially, I think are looking at this as some form of payback, as some form of retribution. Now, he probably kind of sees through that, and is, you know, I've said all along, somewhere planning, plotting his next move of attack. What could be that next reason that he looks for not to play? What's the next cause he's going to stand up, try to stand on his soapbox for? But I do tend to agree with LeBron and others that it is time for him to come back. You could still have him do a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to help him, help educate him, uh, try to set him on a better path. But you did say five games, and now, if this goes anywhere beyond, say Thursday, now it's it's borderlining on him possibly. Filing some kind of appeal with the union and having a chance to fight this suspension. And you don't want it to get to that because then both sides look hideous, hideous here. Both sides look horrible. Also, is LeBron possibly saying this to get on Kyrie's good side because he wants Kyrie traded to the Lakers? Remember that rumor that surfaced during the summer? This could be the first legs of that possibly coming to light once again. Now, in the time the Kyrie has been gone, the Nets have gone four and two, split uh, two games at the Staples Center uh, this past week. And who knows, maybe that might get turned back into the Staples Center if you're paying attention to the news uh, recently. But along that uh, six game stretch, they beat the Knicks at home in a game that lacked all competitive nature from the onset. I mean the biggest thing that you could control in sports and hell in life in general when you're doing anything is your effort. You, know, you could have an off night, you can have a a a bad day at, at, at the job, as they say. But at least show up and and work hard, or in this case, play hard. And the Knicks did not do that. They, you know, crapped the bed at the Barclays Center last Wednesday in a building that was probably at least 60% New York Knicks fans. They embarrassed themselves in front of uh, the city of New York with most eyes in this city watching. And so far, you're looking at this Knicks team, they're... 6-7, and seven, they're ninth in the East, and they just have had some outright hideous, awful losses, whether it be uh, the 20-point game that they blew to the Hawks a couple of weeks ago and wound up uh, losing by 20 after leading by 20 early in the third quarter, or last Wednesday to the Nets, or yesterday at home in a mid-afternoon start, uh, time Losing by double digits at home to the Oklahoma City Thunder, almost uh, giving up a buck fifty to them. He, and it being so bad that Tom Thibodeau benched uh, RJ Barrett in the, the uh, second half just because uh, he liked certain rotations. I, 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 I wasn't truly buying that excuse. But the Knicks just look like garbage. The Knicks are playing like absolute trash. There's, there's no, it, There should have been excitement to this team this year with the re-signing of Barrett, uh, with bringing in uh, the uh, hometown kid Jalen Brunson, hoping for a rebound year out of Randall, and the second year of a lot of these young guys on this team. But instead, every time it seems like they're taking one step forward, They're taking another three or four steps back. And I know we're 13 games into the season. There's still a lot of time. And things are very, you know, clogged up in the East right now. You have about, you know, four, five, six teams in that uh, six and eight to seven and seven, eight and six range. You know, right now they are two games back of the three seed in uh, the Eastern Conference, but they have two, three, four, six, five teams to jump over for uh, that spot, and they're only ha- half a game out of uh, falling out of a play-in scenario. And I don't know about the rest of you, but what really gets on my nerves when it comes to the... New York Knicks is that when things are going wrong things are going bad you never hear from the hierarchy of this organization it feels very will of them that they get to run and hide every time the team is bad that outside of the fan base no one holds them accountable I mean, the fans, Hollering, screaming on social media and calling into their favorite talk radio shows are the the, the ones seemingly keeping keeping them accountable. But you never, uh, other than Tom Thibodeau in his post game press conferences, I I I know the the owner has promised to stay out of this. All right, and that that's probably a good thing. That he is, uh, that Jim Dolan has somewhat stayed out of the mix here. But how are we not hearing from either Leon Rose or World Wide West? How do we? How is it that, unless it's the very end of the season, we never hear from these guys? I mean, once a month, once a month, the general manager should talk to the media. Or if there's a crisis or a, tr- a trade made. But never, whether it's the team's going through a bad run or it's the trade deadline, We ne- Leon Rose has been able to escape without ever having his feet held to the fire. And I just don't understand how he continues to get away with it. How uh, is it that people uh, within that organization are... are saying, hey, Leon, William Wesley, somebody's got to go out there represent us. Someone's got to go talk to us. Someone's got to calm down the fan base because they are pissed off at us right now. And even with as annoyed as I get at the likes of Brian Cashman or as annoyed as I've gotten in the past at the New York Jets or the Brooklyn Nets or the the New Jersey Devils. You routinely hear from the general manager of those organizations, but you never hear from the front office of the New York Knicks, and I don't understand how ownership does not hold them accountable in that range. How you know, it's it's one thing for Jim Dolan to stay out of it when it comes to meddling with trades or hiring his buddies. But even if it's not him, even if it's just one of his minions, shouldn't they be telling uh, Leon Rose and um, World Wide West talk every once in a while? Answer some questions. Please give the the temperature of, of the room somewhat. It just makes no sense. Now, this coming Sunday, the Jets are playing the New England Patriots up there in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Excuse me. They are a a three-and-a-half-point underdog. And this bye week has been fun. You know, I've gotten a little extra time to celebrate the win against the Buffalo Bills. But now it's time to move on to the second half of this season. Now it's time to look ahead to what is a tough stretch ahead. By no means is it going to be an easy task. 1st you we've got the Patriots. Then you got a home matchup against the Bears who can score some points. And we've seen how electric Justin Field has become the last month since they've uh, figured out an offense to work with around him. And then you're going to have... Uh, back-to-back road matchups against uh, the Bills and uh, the Vikings before the schedule somewhat calms down with uh, playing uh, the uh, Lions and the Jaguars to close out the 2022 portion of your schedule. This is an important tone-setting game for this second half of the season, and it's an important game for this team, and for this fan base to finally exercise some demons against the New England Patriots. You've lost 13 consecutive games against them. The last time you beat the Patriots was in December of 2015. Remember that overtime thriller against uh, Brady and company with. uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing the walk-off touchdown to Eric Decker in the corner of the end zone, on, in Week 16. There, it's been a long damn time since you beat this team, and they've beaten the the Jets in some humiliating ways over the years. You want to prove that it's not same old Jets. You want to calm any nerves of mine that. This is the beginning of a potential second half collapse. Go up there and kick their ass. Go up there and win. You're the better roster. The only thing you're not better than them at, unfortunately, is the head coach position. He's a legend. He's arguably, if not the greatest of all time. But you look around the football field you tell me one spot one place that the Patriots are noticeably better than the New York Jets at you cannot honestly say there's one not one with a straight face there is no reason why you can't go up to their house and do to them what they did down here at the Meadowlands two weeks ago it is time for payback. It is time to shove it to the Patriots, show them that's a new day. This is a new Jets team, and show that the the rest of the NFL that you are truly for real. Back up that Bills win with a win against the demon that you have not conquered in a very long time. Show that this fan base has a reason to believe a reason to be excited, a reason to to know that the rest of this season is going to be meaningful and that we have a shot to go somewhere we have not been in almost 12 years. Go up there Jets and get the job done. It is time for you to finally beat the New England Patriots. And that, my friends, was keeping it sports with M3 for Monday, November 14th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a fun, safe, happy, healthy week. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun! Thank you! Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't wanna see you, I don't wanna hear you, and I don't wanna smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.